Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always, thank you for tuning in with me this week after the Belgian Grand Prix, it's pretty much a week since the Belgian Grand Prix because it's Saturday here, Saturday 5th of August to be precise, Um, hope everyone's had a good week, good weekend, whatever you guys are up to, Um, this is kind of my therapy after watching the Cowboys go down to the Broncos in the... um, Queensland derby and a crucial game for them as well as we get closer and closer to the finals period for the NRL and yeah it is frustrating being a Cowboys fan sometimes you know even though we had a good run uh, a few weeks ago six wins in a row and then losing to the Titans there was a bit of an upset and then yeah Broncos were a top two side this year getting the better of us so just writhing a little bit um, in pain because of that, and of course, my ankle as well, which is still on the mend, but anyway, we're here to talk racing, you know, we went car racing, Toto, um, the Belgian Grand Prix, big weekend, final weekend of F1 before the mid-season break, the summer shutdown, <clears throat> also had a supercars on in Sydney as well with the Sydney Super Night, so I will talk about that a little bit later. And yeah, I feel like, you know, probably not on this show, but sometime in the next couple of weeks I'll do a proper sort of midterm review or mid-season review just to look back on, on the first half of the season, which has really been one-way traffic when you think about it. And, you know, for all the people who are like, oh, you're being very optimistic if you think someone else will win a race this year other than Red Bull. I mean, I've, I've kind of dug my grave. I've got a, I've got a, you know, stay in it if it, if it is to be the case for the last 10 races this year. But, you know, who th- would have thought that we would have gone through the first half of the season with only Red Bull drivers winning? You know, that's, you know, it hasn't been seen before, I guess. And you have to go back to uh, 88 with McLaren and their dominance that season. So starting off then, Max dominating the weekend. It's It's been the key word to use about him all year so far. He dominated the sprint race as well. Well, not quite dominated, but he he picked up the win pretty easily. And then going on for the Grand Prix, his eighth win of the year. He's now one off uh, Sebastian Vettel's record of nine straight that he set back in 2013. And of course, Red Bull as well with 12 straight wins um, in a single season. So, you know, I finally accept that record as being theirs now. When you go back to 88 and the McLaren record, it was 11 straight wins that they had before uh, Gerhard Berger and the Ferrari was able to win one at Monza, the special win that that was after the passing of um, Enzo Ferrari, the man himself. So, uh, yeah, Red Bull finally picking up that record. And you know what? It's it's quite telling, and I'm sure I'll talk more about this uh, in the middle of the mid-season review, or even at the end of the year, you know, while we did have multiple years of Mercedes dominance, I feel like it isn't the same as this, you know, yes, it's the same in terms of the stat sheet that they win every race, but there's just a, there's just a machine-like, um, mentality from Verstappen, who just wants to have every single stat 
in his favour every single accolade, whether it's the fastest lap or fastest in a practice session. It, it's all got to go to him. And, you know, one of the big talking points of the weekend in Belgium was the fact that he blew up on the radio several times with his engineer GP, uh, Giampiero Lambiassi. And, you know, they've got such a great big brother, little brother relationship and whatnot. But, you know... Max kind of challenging him at times and, you know, GP putting him in his place. It was it was really good to see, you know, Max being put in his place a couple of times. But, you know, he... I forget where, where this quote came from. It might have been someone from Sky Sports, but essentially saying that, you know, while it seems boring for everyone else watching they don't think that Max is bored in that position, you know, he's happy to go in and win every race, build a 30-second gap, pit on the penultimate lap for a for a shot at fastest lap, and, and all that, because he's just got such confidence in himself and in his car as well, and, you know, when, when you've got that, it's just, you're unstoppable, and that's basically what we're seeing at the moment, and for Max as well, in the Grand Prix on Sunday, he started six because he had a five-place grid penalty due to change of gearbox coming into the weekend, um, and, you know, even from sixth, it was, it was inevitable when he would pass the cars ahead for the, for the lead, and then basically go on and win by, what, 22 seconds it was at the end, so it was an amazing sort of margin that he would build uh rain rain was a big talking point you know just out water and you i feel like you know everyone loses their minds when it comes to f1 there's another key quote from the weekend even by pirelli's own admission was that yeah the wet tires are pretty much useless so the fact that we saw some delays in getting sessions started um particularly friday and saturday and then you know waiting for rain to hit as well just to add a bit of spice into things i mean you know for for the world's premier motorsport um category or single seater category you'd think you know they would be able to race in all conditions except for perhaps a blizzard which or a typhoon which you know they they would not dare go out and I'm sure you know maybe they would have tried if if they were that desperate in Japan when we've had typhoons but I hope they're not that stupid sometimes when what they seem like it but yeah you know the Grand Prix on Sunday was the only dry session and you know I have nothing really more to add about you know the wet tires situation and um, being able to race in in these conditions I mean it's interesting as well that the fact that Spa was moved to this time of year normally it's after the mid-season break so kind of at the end of August moved to the end of July so that it the weather would be a bit more summer-like but you know the area of, of Spa-Francorchamps just seemed to have its own microclimate so I don't think it cares really what's going on in the rest of the world it's just going to do its own thing but with the weekend with the sprint race exciting see oscar piastri leading the sprint race briefly before the safety car that came out for fernando alonso's crash but his first top three in f1 and this is the thing that bugs me to no end but the fact that we can't even say it's his first podium in f1 because it's this stupid sprint race that everyone thinks is going to make the sport more exciting like seriously bugger off because you know the statisticians are going to get bored of it eventually trying to figure out who did what who 
Uh, was this a win? Was this a, a podium, technically? Pierre Gasly as well, his first top three in a race for the season, but not a podium for him. And, you know, a weekend where Alpine had a lot of drama going on, a lot of headlines being generated, not by their drivers, but management. So, um, both Omar Zafnauer and Alan Permain, the sporting director who has been with Team Enstone for 34 years, going back to when they were Benetton um, in the 90s, they've been let go or they've come to a mutual agreement to part ways, whatever you want to see it. Now, I'm not going to do the rant that I did on the Grid Talk podcast on this sh- on on my own show purely because I feel like I've already put enough energy into Alpine for one week in this respect. So if you want to really hear my thoughts about Alpine and and where they're at after this latest you know exodus of key personnel from them, then yeah, go check out the Friday qualifying review um, on the Grid Talk podcast. Their links are always in the description of this show, but also I have written a piece for the Raw as well, a rather lengthy one, so that will also be in the description if you follow the link tree to go have a read at, you know, how I feel about where Alpine are at in general. But yes, you know, for both Piastri and for Gasly, you know, Piastri more so because, you know, gotta love the, gotta love the Aussie in the field. Um, you know, you can't even call it a podium, so it's pretty shocking. But I feel like where what he's displayed um, so far, you know, since McLaren have got these upgrades, you know, I mean, he's been solid all season, but more so in the spotlight now because he's actually in fighting for key positions before nobody really gave a hoot and was like, oh, you know, he's not beaten Lando, Ricardo would have... Ah, no, he wouldn't have... Um, Oscar's been doing a sensational job and, yeah, leading the race, taking the lead from Max, um, and if it wasn't for the safety car, who knows how long he would have lasted there, but um, going into the, the Grand Prix plot, uh, Grand Prix proper, Grand Prix proper, um, Charles Leclerc started on the pole um, because of the grid penalty to Max, and a better weekend for Ferrari, you've got to say, I mean, they looked nowhere last time out in Hungary, but suddenly this track and these conditions suiting them a bit better, yes, they probably had suffered a little bit from the changes of compounds and tyres in, in recent races, but yeah, they seem to have uh, an okay go at it because you know Leclerc was able to come and finish on the podium um, at the end of the 44 laps he started on pole but he was passed by Sergio Perez who started with him on the front row going into Lacombe on the first lap couldn't you know stop those Red Bulls from doing Red Bull things um, for Carlos Sainz it was unfortunate because there was contact between him and Piastri at La Source going into turn one uh, Oscar rather opportunistic maybe you could say um but perfectly acceptable to go down the inside into the first corner signs had a bit of a rant afterwards saying in all my years of racing you know everyone knows that you don't try and go down the inside at la source but mate whatever (laughs) um you know you got to give credit to oscar for trying something different and you know oscar hasn't raced at spa for quite some time i think if ever i don't know if formula two formula three raced there when he was uh in those junior categories but yeah it was sad that both of them ended up 
out of out of the race Oscar kind of being tapped by signs and then into the to the inside wall he was done and dusted straight away signs surprisingly went on um into the race and it was like well Ferrari why don't you just retire the car now what do, what do you think that you can salvage anything from here so eventually Ferrari made the decision to put him out of his misery and out of the race uh the race itself sort of settled into procession before the pit stops lap 14 we saw Perez come in Leclerc the Leclerc as well um, and then a lap later Max was in and it wasn't until lap 17 after the first round of pit stops that Max was able to take the lead from his teammate going down the Camel straight and sailed off into the sunset as it was uh, then a couple of laps later we had a brief shower so um, rain was forecast or a small percentage of rain was forecast for the race itself but nothing really to make a big impact on proceedings and yeah you got to say that um it wasn't enough to trigger trigger a switch to the intermediate tire but did benefit Lando Norris though and got to say that um it was a pretty tricky weekend but it did give him some benefit uh McLaren in the wet conditions because they were running a, a setup with a lot of downforce, um, and these upgrades that they've brought in the last couple of races have been more suited to those higher downforce tracks. And you kind of need, while there are some corners in at Spa that require, you know, lots of wing, there's also a couple of big straights there. So they lost a lot of performance. And Lando in a dry race was was nowhere, and he was suffering quite badly until that little bit of rain did make it easier for him to use that extra downforce and make up some positions he did put on an, another set of soft tires fresh soft tires to get himself um out of bother because yeah he was running right at the back and he was really really filthy on the radio as well and it wasn't looking like a very good day for them because of the piastri retirement as well but eventually they were able to come home and finish seventh so considering how it was all doom and gloom uh, coming out of Lando's uh, radio messages to come home and finish seventh. Um, it was still pretty beneficial and ahead of their key rivals as well when you look at the Constructors' Championship and Alpine, um, but they're not losing too many points to the likes of Aston Martin who had a bit of a better weekend as well. And if you want to believe that, uh, McLaren will be challenging for fourth by the end of this season in the Constructors. That'll be quite interesting. So... We'll move it on then, and uh, Lewis Hamilton had a pretty decent weekend as well. His teammate George Russell, not so. And an interesting dynamic shift, you've got to say, because by the end of last season, it was very much uh, Mercedes. It looked to be, you know, the car and setup and everything looked to be favoured in, in Russell's uh, position, and, you know, George had that. Um, great weekend in, in Brazil, Sao Paulo winning the Grand Prix, his first ever race, and, and Lewis having his first ever winless season in F1, but, you know, this year, it seems that, you know, Hamilton seems to have clawed back a bit of control, you know, he's he's in the hunt there with Fernando Alonso fighting for 
best of the rest behind the Red Bulls in the championship. And, you know, Ferrari on this occasion was a bit better than the Mercedes and he had nothing for them going into the second round of pit stops. He he came in before Ferrari and Red Bull did, but, you know, he couldn't overhaul them. And instead there was enough of a gap back to fourth place or sorry, fifth place where they could um, pit and go for the fastest lap, and they did so um, on the penultimate lap, going over to the medium tyre, and yeah, your top three, basically, Max, Checo, and Leclerc, so a handy podium for Ferrari and for Charles Leclerc going into the summer break, Um, and yeah, Fernando Alonso, like I said, Aston Martin having a bit of a better weekend, you've got to say, uh, dragging his Aston Martin to fifth, and Lance Stroll uh, ending up in the points with a one-stop strategy as well, so that was kind of okay with him, but, you know, a bit of, a bit of talk out there at the moment. Um, David Croft with some interesting lines about how he reckons Stroll has lost his mojo and that, you know, he might even decide to call it quits himself, either, you know, not this year, but the end of next year, but who knows, like, particularly with uh, Stroll Sr. still bankrolling the team, will he, will he let his son step down, whether he wants to or not and whatnot but you know definitely that's one thing you know talk about in reflection of this first half of the season is the fact that Aston Martin they were in a strong position at the start of the year and even if it wasn't you know even if it was short-lived when you look at how Mercedes and and McLaren have have caught up and Ferrari you know have their good days as well that you know the points that they sort of lost with Stroll not being able to be on Alonso's pace or qualify near him, finish near him in the race, um, it's quite interesting. And yes, you know, we can still give Stroll the benefit of the doubt that that he came into the season with uh, two broken wrists and first couple of races would have been tricky for him. But really, you know, there's there's no excuses when it comes to, to weekends like Monaco where, you know, Aston Martin were tipped to win, but they didn't anyway. Not that Stroll would have been the one to go win, but, you know, great for, for Hamilton. Picked up the fastest lap, him and Alonso doing their things um, and outshining ahead of their teammates as well. Norris, as I said, seventh um, and had three stops to his name. And then, yeah, an interesting scrap for the final points paying positions led by Esteban Ocon in eighth so Alpine kind of salvaging a little bit of pride with the top three result for Gasly in the sprint and then Ocon scoring eight in the Grand Prix um Yuki Tsunoda in 10th as well and you know an important result for him he's been the only driver to score points for Alpha Tauri this season as well albeit they have all been 10th placed finishes so far but um you know he I think needs it because there has been talk about uh Daniel Ricciardo putting pressure on him and everything I think you know it's it's bogus anyway given that you know they're in such a poor car and it's it's you know Yuki's kind of Pushing Dung up a hill, it's not been great, but, you know, when you get those individual results, it's pretty good, and when you look at where Ricardo finished in the race, by comparison, it does uh, make a bit of a difference, because he was down in 16th, and he qualified second last as well, so, yeah, it, it there you go. Got a feel a bit for Gasly, though, in the Grand Prix, he tried a one-stop strategy as well, similar to Stroll, um, but was just outside the points, falling behind Gasly, uh, sorry, Sonoda, and of course, 
Alex Albon as well going for a three-stop strategy and you know Williams were talked about heading into the weekend as being someone who in these sort of high speed or you know high speed long straights this sort of track that really benefit with her without having downforce as supposed to McLaren who had the extreme sort of um variant of that so you know that was a bit disappointing for Albon to finish down 14th you had both the Alfa Romeos anonymous as well Bottas and Joe finishing 12th and 13th and then um Haas as well having a bit of a uh disappointing one with Kevin Magnussen 15th and Nico Hülkenberg 18th and last of the classified runners despite the fact that he started from pit lane with a new power unit too so yeah that pretty much sums up the race really it wasn't you know not a lot going on but you know some some key moves made in terms of points and whatnot for the championship and as we as it stands right now you know McLaren with the form that they found in recent races even though it wasn't the greatest weekend for them, I think they can still very much hold their heads high, um, and it's looking quite close between the likes of Aston Martin, Ferrari, there in third and fourth, and you know Mercedes, you know doing a good job in in second while in the drivers' championship. If you really want to say that it's it's on that you know Alonso and Hamilton who are forty and forty one points respectively behind Perez to be in the hunt for second, who knows you know? And then behind you go Leclerc, Russell, Sainz, Norris, um, Stroll hanging on there in the top ten. But I feel like the way Piastri has really been finding his feet in in the last couple of weekends, you know, it won't be long before we see him claim an F1 podium proper and, you know, look to get a top 10 in the championship in his first season. I think that would be really, really good. And it's just been great to see the progress that uh, young Oscar has made. So power to him. Well done. Uh, Leave it at that then for F1. I'm sure if we come back and or um, if I come back and do a mid-season review episode, can talk a bit more about some of the things that have happened so far this season, some of the news that um, has been intriguing. Still haven't talked about the calendar yet. You know, we'll, we'll I'll get to that as well. I'm sure. Uh, not really into into that right now with the with everything else going on um, and plenty to talk about with the supercars as well because it was an intriguing race weekend there at Sydney uh, Motorsport Park you had penalties you had tirades you had fines being thrown around silly season as well like I I kind of touched on last week but yeah, when it comes to the actual racing, it was a good one for Brody Kostecki because he was able to take back the championship lead that he lost to his teammate last time out. Um, and, you know, he won the night race. Pole position went the way of Andre Heingartner, but he had a bad start and lost multiple positions. And, yeah, Brody's first win since the Grand Prix support round going back to April that's that's a long way and yeah behind him you had the likes of Will Brown his teammate and Cameron Waters scrapping away um Cam doing a good job to jump into uh, effective position two or jumping ahead of Brown <coughs> after the first pit stop and then you had the crash being triggered by David Reynolds on lap 33 um, or safety car being triggered by the crash of David Reynolds on lap 33, which saw a 
Interesting flashpoint of the race because there was a five-second time penalty handed to Cam Waters for an unsafe release on Brock Feeney, um, and that pretty much lost Cam the podium because Chas Mostert scythed his way up to P2, and then P3 would have been going the way of SVG, but there was a bump and run on Brown, and um, the stewards decided to penalise Van Gisbergen five seconds for that, so Brown was promoted to the podium. And this is where the whole penalties and tirades thing comes into it because Waters was mad, um, even though the stewards kind of justified their decision for giving him the penalty. Not that, you know, we should be arguing with it anyway, but the fact that Brock had to break significantly when he was coming into the pits to avoid Waters, um, Tickford, Tim Edwards, you know, Waters himself would say that, you know, he braked way too early. He was not close, um, he was nowhere near them when the Monster Energy Mustang was coming out, like, I find it hard to argue with, with unsafe release penalties, because the reason they're there is to keep people in the pit lane safe, and I understand the frustration from Tickford and for Waters, they've had a rough year, um, and, you know, I say that with my Ford hat on as well, you know, and not trying to say, oh, you know, they're, they're going against, supercars are against Ford in this situation but you know it's it's difficult to argue that but I think you know just in the heat of the moment you know when um he made the comment as well on the radio uh they wonder why all their drivers want to f and leave supercars um you know it it and it, it does make it does make sense you know that drivers are quite frustrated or some drivers are quite frustrated with what supercars have been doing this year and the the whole parody debacle um svg as well when he was asked something on on sunday i think he he said uh his response was what waters said uh to to do with a penalty or oh, i think it might have been to do with the penalty that he got you know the five seconds to get him off the podium in uh on saturday so you know it, it shows that there is a bit of discontent and unhappiness there and you know i'm i'm all for them sharing that you know because they are after all out there risking their lives driving these cars and you know essentially being told they've got to put on a show for us but you know it's their professions they're the professionals it's their careers you know give a bit of respect to the drivers and whatnot and you know we'll, we'll see and um it was interesting as well after the pole position that van gisbergen got ahead of race 19 on sunday he made the cheeky comment of oh let's see how they try and take this one off us you know in reference to newcastle i guess and also the penalty that he got in race 18 so you know it's it's you can you can see that angst and you can see that you know cheekiness coming out there but there was also barry ryan big bad Baza again um letting his mouth motor run on live tv and he was uh saying some stuff about van gisbergen and saying that he can't keep getting away with it but used a bit more fruit fruity language to do with that and ended up copping a five grand fine with two and a half thousand of that suspended to the end of the year provided he does some community service for the super two category um bit of a discussion about that as well as to you know why you know it's it's a good thing to have a character like um ryan kind of mouthing off there i mean my 
um you know my reaction first of all is that you know yes you might get a giggle out of it or everyone might get a giggle out of it as adults watching the tv but you know at the end of the day you've kind of got to stay professional you know it's it's great to wear your heart on your sleeve these sort of moments are better left for sort of the 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 end of season highlights or if you want to do a drive to survive documentary thing not for a live broadcast which is going to be consumed by all ages and for those who are saying but kids should be in bed by nine o'clock or wherever whenever um whenever ryan's comments came out um not really no because i'm sure after you know a couple of six packs and jumping on the um bundies as well you wouldn't know what your kids are up to they'd probably be still running amok you know while you're sitting there passed out or barely paying attention to the tv and then getting a giggle out of barry ryan going off his chop so um yeah look i think it's it's he's a character and it's good in that respect but you know there needs to be a line that you can't cross and i think the idea of putting um or supercars tv direction kind of putting the radio messages like the ones that waters gave on delay or not even broadcasting them like they do in f1 it's probably a better idea but at the end of the day supercars have got to try and do whatever they can to make their category look entertaining and competitive when you know especially the racing isn't up to standard or you know you've got um a disparity in your formula between the two manufacturers it's ridiculous so yeah, look, I'm all for entertainment, but, you know, there's there's certain lines that you don't cross, and, you know, I think also people giving abuse to the likes of Will Brown and, and being abusive in the comments, even to Barry Ryan as well, is, is not founded for, so, you know, it's all, it's all good and well to have healthy debate and discussion, but keep it civil, you know, these people have lives as well, and, you know, you never know what comments might do, um, particularly nasty pointed ones, they might be, um, they might have a bit more weight than you think, so yeah, (laughs) we'll leave it at that anyway, uh, moving on to race 19, Van Gisbergen winning, uh, Will Brown punted off at turn one, so from pole position, um, Gizzy lost the lead to Heimgartner, but was able to retake the lead on lap four. So great effort, though, from from Heimgartner all weekend. You know, pole position um, and race 18 didn't go their way at Brad Jones Racing, but he was able to have a good result in race 19, getting on the podium there and quite comfortably too. But how opportunistic was this at turn one? So you had Brown off, you had Reynolds off, four cars going um abreast into turn one with Winterbottom, Mark Winterbottom and Anton Di Pasquale involved as well. So no wonder two cars ended up having to be sent off and yeah, you know, a bit of a recovery drive for Will Brown in that um race. But yeah, he hasn't lost too much ground in the championship to his teammate as we head into there's the bend around uh, super sprint coming up and then the two endurance races with Sandown and Bathurst taking us through the months of September and October um yeah Brody Kostecki undercutting or he was undercut by the likes of Feeney, Di Pasquale, Bryce Fullwood who had an excellent race as well um so two of the Brad Jones racing cars up there in race 19 on Sunday and then yes as I said earlier Heimgartner having comfy second place behind Van Gisbergen who 
hasn't won a race either for for quite some time. I think going back to Tasmania or even Perth. So great one from the gears there off to NASCAR and also going to be doing the uh, truck series as well to have his first shot at oval. So, you know, we'll, um, you know, we'll all be cheering for him. I'm sure see how he goes. Cause it seems like a lot of the regular NASCAR drivers are being very critical of, of Shane at the moment. Uh, the fact that, you know, yes, he's come out and won on a street course or a road course, but you know, he's going to really come on be he's really going to come undone on on ovals but you know we haven't seen him run on ovals yet so we'll see because he might be excellent who knows um there was a last lap pass by De Pasquale on Feeney at turn seven to take third so great effort from De Pasquale he's had podiums in the last couple of rounds now so slowly recovering from where he was in the championship quite low down as or as low as 20th I believe at, at one point in you know, DJR, one of those teams who haven't been as vocal about, you know, parity, and they've got their own issues that they're trying to sort out, which is good, but Anton's still a class driver doing all his um, good things, so yeah, that was your podium for race 19, and to wrap it up with the with the talking points, silly season, silly season has hit supercars, because Van Gisbergen pretty much said at the end of the weekend that he is going to be going to NASCAR in 2024, um, so won't be in supercars next year, but who's going to replace him? It's another story as to where uh, Gisbergen is going to land a full-time gig. If he does get a full-time gig, he might even just do uh, road courses and street courses next year and maybe like cameo on on ovals to try and prepare himself but from what i hear it might be with track house racing so that would be great because he's already got that relationship there who is going to replace gisbergen though because it's going to be a, a a seat that's hotly contested richie stanaway of course is there at the moment who is going to be van gisbergen's co-driver in the enduros and highly rated is stanaway i've been a fan of his for a long time going back to when he was in gp2 and gp3 and the aston martin um uh, gte pro uh world endurance championship team as well in which he is a class winner um but yeah like he's he's obviously not gained a lot of fans through some of his disciplinary issues or you know missing uh signature sessions and fans uh, signings and all that sort of thing so um you know you can't you know go at a driver for that you know they've they've got their reasons but i guess as well it's your obligation being in that position to be able to commit to the commercial side and and um go with the fans and whatnot as well and I'm sure there's a lot of fans of his that you know would have been disappointed you know going back to was it Gold Coast in 2019 when he was you know benched by Gary Rogers Motorsport for those disciplinary issues that you know there have been some fans who were let down by that too so but yeah I reckon Richie full of potential great great driver um, and we saw him if you watch the GT World Challenge uh, race at SMP as well on the weekend um, him coming back and almost winning it in the end you know a great great driver so hopefully if he does get the gig that it is his chance to finally show everyone in supercars what he's worth because we saw him at this very track you know I think it was 2017 ahead of his um, endurance gig with Cam Waters that he got dropped into Super 2 first time in the category one on debut and then 
Sandown 500 not too long after him and Waters won the race in changeable conditions. So, you know, a big part of that was also Stanaway's contribution. So he's definitely, you know, someone to look out for as well. And it'll be interesting to see how he fares in the Enduros this year with um, with Van Gisbergen in the 97 car. Also got Fabian Coulthard, I think I mentioned last week, being a contender for um, a seat at WAU, which Nick Perkat looks likely to be um, vacating at the end of the year. But then you've also got um, Ryan Wood amongst the junior contenders who might be going for that seat, and Kai Allen, another one who will be seeing on the grid there at Bathurst with Simona Di Silvestro for DJR, could be in contention for a seat up. David Reynolds looking at um, a long-term seat at Team 18 if they part ways with Scott Pye too, so a fair bit going on. But with the junior guys, with the drivers like a Wood or an Allen, my only concern is that, you know, both of them, I think this is their first year in, in Super 2 or, you know, whether they've with whether they've done Super 3 or not. Who knows, because it's not on often enough to actually pay attention to it. Is it too early to be dropping them into the um, fire pit that is the Supercars Championship? Because going back a few years, you know, and I still do kind of feel sorry for Bryce Forward, is that he you know, went out there, he won Super 2 quite emphatically, he got promoted to Supercars with Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, um, being teammate to Chaz Mostert at a team that is looking to kind of break into that um, front-running ways after a couple of years where they weren't as good, you know, it's, it's tough, and he got, you know, two seasons where... He was nowhere near Mostert. It was very difficult for him. And then, yeah, you know, without properly being able to swim, he was he was uh, thrown out. And he's found refuge, of course, there at Brad Jones Racing at the moment, and he's doing an okay job. But, yeah, whether the likes of a Wood or, or Allen need more time in, in the junior categories to hone their skills or in the likes of Super 2 to hone their skills before coming into... Um, supercars because it'd be a shame for them to have such talent and to be you know hyped up as as much as they are to then not be able to deliver on that promise um yeah you know it, it's not going to be great and when you look at you know talent coming in from super two i mean not everyone's going to be a you know Brock Feeney, for example, who's done an exceptional job, but even look at Cam Orders, for example, who came in, he, he was excellent in 2015 um, in the Super 2 Championship, he came in 2016, and he's almost been, he's been at Tickford for what, eight years now, eight, nine years, some, not even, not quite, um, but it's been a long time, 2016, do the math, okay, I can't, uh, it's taken him a while to be able to get himself into a position where he has been a regular pole position candidate or race winning candidate, you know, so, you know, for someone who was that highly rated in, um, in the junior category at that time, it, yeah, you know, it is a bit, bit of a struggle, there is a bit of a huge leap when it comes to that and supercars so yeah just what I'm trying to say is I don't want to see these 
uh, young guys being brought into the sport and then being cast out quite quickly because they can't meet the lofty standards that they expect. So, anyway. All right, well, that pretty much wraps it up then. Like I said earlier in the show, um, please uh, go check out my article on the Raw for Alpine or regarding Alpine. There's also the Grid Talk um, show as well. Their link will be in the description for the show too, so please check them out in F1 Chronicle. Um, Other than that, everyone take care. Have a good little break between now and the next Grand Prix in... Uh, the Netherlands, Zandvoort, the Dutch Grand Prix, uh, and yeah, hopefully you'll hear me again with a mid-season review, so until then, ciao.